Interested in an MBA focused on international business with rigorous academics and a supportive collaborative culture? Pull up a chair. Today's guest is the Dean of Admissions at Georgetown McDonough's MBA program, and it fits your bill perfectly. Welcome to Admissions Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Accepted's founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, yes, I'm in, confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams. Welcome to the 421st episode of Admission Straight Talk, Accepted's podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You, dear listener, are listening to the right episode at the right time, provided you're listening before June 14th, because right now through June 14th, Accepted is having a June MBA sale. You can save 10% on all hourly services and up to $800 on our application packages. Check out all the savings at accepted.com slash MBA slash services. But hurry, these fantastic savings end on June 14th. Shout out and thanks to Megan for a lovely review, which also earned her a free consultation with me. Megan wrote on Apple Podcasts, quote, Linda does such a good job of covering a variety of topics. Her guests offer awesome advice as well. I would recommend this show to anyone looking to learn more about admissions, close quote. Thank you, you. It gives me great pleasure to have back on Admissions Straight Talk, Shelley Heinrich, Associate Dean, MBA Admissions and Director of Marketing at Georgetown's McDonough School of Business. Shelley has been leading Georgetown's admission efforts since 2014 and became Associate Dean in 2017. She earned her BBA from Texas Christian University, her master's in educational administration from UT Austin, and her executive MBA from Georgetown McDonough. Shelley, welcome to Admission Straight Talk. So excited to, to join you. Always appreciate coming back on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I'd like to start with some just very general admissions questions and then move into more, I guess, time-related topics or timely topics. Can you, to start, just give us an overview of Georgetown's full-time and flex MBA programs? For those listeners who aren't that familiar with these programs and focus on their more distinctive elements. Well, the great thing about our full-time and flex program is that, that there are both 54 credit degrees and they both follow the same exact curriculum. You have the same access to the career center, which is unique sometimes for a part-time MBA, um, same access to professors, the global consulting experience. Um, and so the real difference is kind of the timing and the format. So the full-time MBA is, is a standard full-time MBA. It's 20 months. Uh, you know, with an internship this summer, the year between year one and year two. And then our Flex MBA program, you can complete in two and a half to five years, really crafting your own schedule. So if you want to take a, you know, two to three classes at a time, you can speed it up. If you want to stretch it out, taking maybe one or two classes at a time, you can do that as well. With the Flex MBA, you also have different course delivery options in order to make it more flexible. So you can choose between electives that are on Saturday, that are in the evening, that are hybrid, um, and also do more of our intensive learning experiences, the intense one-week electives to get an entire credit knocked out. So you do have a little bit more flexibility. Um, But in general, both are standard MBAs. And when you graduate, your degree says MBA. Thank you. That was a wonderful overview. Now, we're going to get to the pandemic in a minute, but right now my question is, what's new at McDonough other than the pandemic and the new reality that we're all dealing with? I know. Well, uh, you know, what What I love so much about Georgetown and, and our Dean Almeida is his energy. And so even while we were dealing with the pandemic, we were still continuing to forge ahead and launch the new initiatives that 
we had wanted to launch and, and then even launch some new ones as part of the pandemic. So very briefly, we launched in December our MBA Advanced Access Program, which is our deferral program. Uh, we launched an MBA Mentorship Program, which is a mentorship program between alumni as well as MBA students to just get professional mentorship and guidance. Uh, our students launched a, recently a McDonough Talks podcast to kind of give you the real story of what it, it's like okay. to be a student. And then because of the pandemic, we launched Operation Career Personalis, which is you, we have the academics, you have the career, and then you really have the, the community aspect of an MBA. And Operation Career Personalis being true to our Jesuit roots and focusing on Career Personalis, which is care of the whole person, really looked at programming that we could bring to our students to develop the mind, body, and spirit, right? Um, and, and kind of what is it that makes you a successful leader? Yes, it's it's functional intelligence uh, and, and certainly career aspiration motivation, but you also have to have you know the rest of yourself that you develop as a leader and so that you can be an effective leader of, of your team. So a lot's been launched over the last year, uh, which is really exciting and, and just one of the great things I love about McDonough. What are some of the elements of the of the last initiative, the core personalis? You know, we realized uh, shortly after the you know few months into the pandemic that you know yes, we've always embodied the the care of the whole person, um, which is really the core personalis. And you know, in order to be an effective leader, you, you have to understand how to lead people with empathy and to take care of them as a person and to make sure their mental health, their well-being, their spiritual well-being, if they have, you know, a, a spiritual well-being, all of that that you're thinking about and taking care of, because ultimately that will lead you to be more resilient and, and a more effective leader. And so we've brought in all different diverse programming, everything from sleep seminars, um, recognizing that sleep uh, has a, a great output on your effectiveness. Things like, you know, yoga, uh, things like meditation, um, comedy shows, different speakers coming in to, to talk about different ways that you can really improve yourself as a person. And, and the way I think of it is, you know, yes, right now you may be in, you know, mid-level of your career or maybe the entry level of your career, but one day you might be managing 300 people or 20 people or 500 people or thousands of people. And to get the most out of your people, you should reflect back on those things that, that make, you know, them strong, um, you know, personally and, and that allow them to take care of their, their staff and employees. And so it's been, it's been great. And they've opened it up, you know, not just to students, but to staff and faculty and ended up being actually, because of the success we had at McDonough, um, other parts of the university are implementing it as well. So wow. that is something that we will actually take into next year, you know, post pandemic that we sure. realized students really appreciated. That's great. All right. So we've kind of been skirting around the pandemic. Let's, let's dive into it. Okay. Yeah. How have the pandemic restrictions affected the MBA experience and program at Georgetown McDonough? Man, uh, it, you know, every week has you know been exciting as this change, and we've had to problem solve. Maybe exciting not the right word, um, but, but uh, there's been euphemism. a lot of changes. Um, so right now, any MBA student that wants to be on campus who has met the COVID testing protocol at the university is able to be on campus. Now, not every professor is teaching on campus at this point, but any student that wants to be can. Um, so that's kind of where we are now. You know, when we started a, a year ago, we were very much you know, virtual. Uh, this time last year into the spring, we were very much virtual. We went into the fall and kind of in, in a hybrid with international students being on campus. And so it really wasn't until the spring semester that domestic students who met COVID protocols could be on, on campus. 
the president has just announced in the fall that we will be back in person. So we're really excited and planning towards that. And he's also announced an in-person graduation. So that's wow. For for this summer, for for 2021 or for for next month. He just announced it a couple of weeks ago. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. What that looks like. We don't really are are still kind of figuring out, but we will be um, in person. So at this point, most of your MBAs are on campus in class, right? If I understood you correctly. If they want to be, if they've met the COVID protocols, there are certainly students who this year decided to stay at home, you know, to to stay in their home state or home country. So not every student is physically living in D.C. uh, because the changes were kind of announced mid-semester. But, um, you know, but the students that want to be uh, are. Can be. All right. Okay, great. That's, that's, first of all, it's fantastic progress. And they can have the kinds of casual interactions. The cafeteria is open. The lounges are open. The clubs are meeting, et cetera, for those people who are on campus or are there still restrictions in that, in that yeah, regard? Yeah, I think there a lot of the, the social activities are still, at least that are sponsored by Georgetown, are very restricted. Those are still virtual. You know, any type of club activities, career activities, anything like that is is still virtual. So the focus has really been on, on the classes. Um, now students are allowed to be in the building. You can, you, you know, can run into somebody now. You, yeah. You, you, yeah. Right. Let's turn away from, from the pandemic. I think everybody's also tired of hearing about it. What don't people know about Georgetown McDonough that you would like them to know? What's a common misconception or myth that you'd like to puncture? It's interesting. Every year we try to dispel these myths, um, but I think they continue to kind of be here. And, and I would say there's three really One is that because we're in Washington, D.C., we're more of a public policy focused MBA program, which is so far from the truth. You know, we, uh, you know, the highest percentage of our graduates still go into finance and consulting, you know, technology. But yes, I mean, we do have a, a perhaps a larger percentage than other schools that will pursue social impact or nonprofit. Um, But it's a small sliver, you know, typically three percent, three or four percent. Um, and so at the core, we are a, a, an MBA program. I'd say related to that, um, people assume, and maybe this is the case for all MBA programs, but they assume that most of our alum go to work in DC after graduation. But we are a global program. You know, the, our alum go all over the world, you know, where the, where the employers and jobs take them. And, and so, um, so we're very much a global alumni program. And then I would say the third is people, you know, are interested to learn about what does Jesuit education mean? And, and if yeah. I'm not Catholic, um, you know, if I'm Hindu or Muslim or or non have you know non faith non practicing faith, what does that mean? And, and Jesuit education is focused on kind of the learning and the care of the whole person. And it's we have people of all different faiths. Our our deans, our faculty, um, our you know student staff um, come from all different backgrounds. And so it's a very welcoming, inclusive environment that focuses on kind of on the teaching and the well roundedness um, versus the religious aspect. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you for that answer. Now, typically at this time of year, you'd be traveling the world, right? Engaging with prospective students and some Hoyas would probably accompany you. How can prospective students engage with the McDonough community if you can't go to them and they can't go to you? I know. I missed 12-hour flights to Asia, to be very honest. I cannot (laughs) wait to get back on You know, we have had to turn, you know, our events virtual. So we are hosting all of our information sessions virtually, our coffee chats virtually, our signature events virtually. And while you can never replace the in-person experience, what has been fascinating is our ability to reach more people than we ever have. 
I can remember last May when we hosted our first monthly information session virtually. You know, when we do it in person, we would typically get about 100, 120 people that would attend. Our first one had over 500 people registered. And I thought, wow, maybe we've been doing this wrong all along. (laughs) You know, like think about all the people from different countries who weren't going to fly in for a one hour session, but now Mm -hmm. we're able to experience, you know, McDonough. And so, so yes, people can meet with us virtually. They can set up times to chat with us. And then hopefully by the end of the summer and into the fall, we will be back to allowing visitors on campus. And do you see yourself in terms of of recruiting applicants continuing with a mix of virtual and in-person or do you see yourself just staying virtual? I mean, how do you see yourself going forward? It will be a mix, really. I mean, I think we've learned a lot this year and we've had a lot of success with being virtual. Nothing can replace getting to chat with someone over coffee, especially in their home state or home country and really interviewing them face to face. Yeah. And so I think it'll be a mix, but it's it's been great to learn that we can have success in both um, modes, virtual and in-person. Right. Has the success in terms of reaching out to people virtually translated and increased applications? Yes, it's a it's an interesting year, one like uh, one we haven't experienced in a while. And so we have passed three rounds of our of our MBA applications. Um, our full time is up 26%. Wow. And our flex is up 11%. But even to drill that down, we just had round three, which typically is a very small round. Not a lot of people apply in round three. Our round three applications for full-time were up 83%. Wow. Um, Yes. Wow. Um, Very interesting. Also, the fact that, you know, coming out of round one, our deposits were up almost 50% year over year. Um, And that was pre-pandemic, right? Because round one deposits come in at the beginning of February. So it has been a very interesting year. Throw out the models <laughs> from previous years. Yeah. But yeah, that's fantastic. Congratulations. I'm wondering if some of that round three increase isn't isn't from people who got rejected from programs that they thought they might have gotten into in previous years. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We typically, for round three and round four, we see a mix of applications. We see people who didn't really realize that they if they wanted to apply in an MBA, they should have started in the fall. Um, you know, I think people... Right from their undergraduate experience, don't really realize round ones are in September. Right. But then we also get a good mix of very highly, highly qualified people that are applying to maybe the top five programs. And unfortunately, they don't receive a spot. And then they, you know, they start to research great programs like Georgetown and realize, wow, I can achieve the same career goals or very similar career goals. Uh, and, you know, be in a smaller class size in the heart of Washington, DC. And maybe this is a good path for me. So we typically see a, a lot of highly qualified applicants in round three and round four. We've many times recommended Georgetown to applicants who are great applicants and somehow had overlooked Georgetown. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can think of one fellow in particular, I think he's already graduated and he was just thrilled. Once he started looking into the program, he got more and more interested. He applied, he got accepted, he attended, he was happy as anything. Let's turn, um, let's turn to the application itself. What is the purpose of the different elements in the Georgetown application, specifically the essays, the resume, and the recommendation? I know that you don't ask for those things because you can't sleep at night and that each one has a purpose, but I'm not sure that applicants always fully understand that. We want in those three elements, the essays, the resume, and recommendation, we want to understand kind of who you are outside of your GPA, your test score, your years of work experience. It allows us to really understand your character, your leadership ability, and and what you'll bring to the classroom. 
So in our essays, we're fairly unique at Georgetown, I think, in that we provide three essay prompts. You only have to choose one. So it allows you to determine what your value proposition is as a person and leader, and then choose the essay that allows you to sell it the best so that you're not forced into a box of an essay that maybe doesn't you know, really highlight your um, strengths. And then uh, we have a video essay, which I know causes anxiety with students, but honestly, it's one of my favorite parts of the application because we get to really see them and who they are because, you know, only one person gets to interview you on the admissions committee. But with the video essay, everyone on the admissions committee gets a chance to see you. And you can re-record it as many times as you want until you get it right. Whereas in an interview, you go in and you get one shot, right? Right. I think it's a strength for ap- for applicants in their application process. The resume also provides just more context into what you do, what your accomplishments are, and, and your career progression, as well as how you're involved maybe outside of employment. And then the recommendation is something that I typically leave till the very end. And so by the time I've read your entire application, I have an idea in my head, perhaps of what type of student you are, or um, you know what type of what what your experience has been. And then interestingly, often when I read the recommendation, it confirms what I was already thinking, you know. And so I love that. And so the recommendation, yeah, it's just it typically just rounds out your application. It's not typically make or break. You know, very few people will have a negative recommendation letter. <laughs> I love it's that. more like what what does a recommender choose to talk about? That correct. Mm-hmm. Not so much as a positive or negative, because most of them are positive. Is what is that person emphasizing and highlighting? Mm-hmm. Okay. What about the test? McDonough gives applicants a choice between the GMAT, the GRE, and the executive assessment. Any plans to provide waivers? Uh, make the test optional? Kind of where where's Georgetown on that? Yeah, there's there's no preference among the three. I mean, I think you know the, the old adage is if you're thinking about the top consulting firms or investment banking, it's probably preferable to choose the GMAT. However, I've heard that some companies are being more flexible. But other than that, there's no preference. Research the test, figure out which one you're going to do the best at, and then submit. Be sure to take it more than once. That's what I always recommend to applicants. Take it more than once because um, you're typically going to do better the second time. We see it all the time. In terms of waivers, you know, last year was different, um, but moving into this year, while most countries and states have resumed accessibility to in-person and or there still is online options, we do realize that there are some countries who where there is still limited accessibility. And so we have provided each round um, an opportunity for people to apply for a test waiver if they have, if they don't have access to take the test. And then if they don't have access, they also have to have met certain academic eligibility criteria. So it is very selective. And, you know, we don't know what we're going to do moving forward with with tests. I think it's it's important to have tools by which to assess candidates and how they're going to be successful in the classroom. You know, there are people who don't test well, but there are people who really test well uh, and it offsets a low GPA. You know, I, I can... I can think of many applicants who maybe had a 2.7 or 2.8 GPA because they were doing maybe intercollegiate athletics. Maybe they were supporting their family. They were working 40 or 50 hours a week. And maybe they were immature when they started college. They were immature. And so, but then two or three years after college, they go take a test and they do really, really well. And then even for international applicants, without a standardized test, you know, how would we compare transcripts from, you know, Mongolia to Ecuador, to India, to China, to Los Angeles, to San Francisco? Like, how would we assess all of those and, yeah. and, and do it well? And so that's one of the reasons why a standardized test can be 
helpful, but, you know, we're really trying to dig through and think about, you know, assessments and, uh, and, and what to do with them moving forward. Great. Thank you. Now you've obviously been looking at a lot of applications uh, over the last, I guess it's, it's now seven years, right? At, at Georgetown. What are some of the most common mistakes applicants make that you've seen? The common mistakes that stand out are, you know, first of all, just sloppiness. I mean, that seems silly, but, you know, lowercasing, you know, your your name and your first name and last name on applications and not putting in the right school, which sounds so simple, but every round there are multiple people that do it. Say I'm applying, I look forward to applying to XYZ school and, and it's not Georgetown. <laughs> um, and even when I was previously working at GW in admissions, it was the same thing. Assuming that we know about career progression, the career progressions that they've had, um, and to provide you an example, I was interviewing a student one time and simultaneously looking at their resume, and they mentioned, oh, uh, well, when I received that promotion at Deloitte, I was then doing XYZ, and I was looking at their application, and I said, or their resume, and I said, I don't, I don't see that promotion. You didn't indicate that promotion on your resume, and the person said, well, you know, I wanted to get it down to one page. And so I decided to remove that. And I said, oh no, like don't, that is a key element of your application, I mean, of your candidacy is that you've been promoted. We look for yeah. that. So that was another, you know, I think, I guess you call it maybe mistake or, or not strategic. And then I would say another thing is, you know, not having attended any type of event or met with any type of alumni or current students. So, you know, when I ask someone, how have you learned about Georgetown? Um, the successful applicants will say, well, I attended this event, or I know an alumnus of your university I spoke with, or, you know, whatever it is. And then they'll talk about how that conversation or that event has led them to more be interested in Georgetown. And especially in this virtual environment, when all of our events are virtual, there is almost no excuse for not having attended an event. In years past, maybe if you were international, you know, you might not have been able to attend. But this round, this cycle, you should definitely be attending virtual events. Right, for sure should be attending both to demonstrate your interest in the program and because you should, I mean, you should want to know about the program. Your applications yeah. will be better. In light of the pandemic and the crazy end to last year's admissions cycle, are you going to evaluate applications slightly different, perhaps looking for or weighing different attributes more or less? So I think what the pandemic really further highlighted is our true commitment to core personalis, uh, which is care of the whole person and empathy. You know, we mm-hmm. last summer took an approach to say, we're going to have individual conversations with, with every person that, that's struggling, that's thinking about maybe this isn't the right year for them. And we're going to hear their stories. And, you know, if, if you think about that, you know, 30 minutes per student times hundreds, I mean, it was a lot of students, but we said, this is true to our values. And and we want to feel right about how we're handling this. This feels right to do. And so I think that's continued to bleed into this year is that care and and true perspective on each individual person, you know, for top MBA programs that are receiving thousands of applications, but also, you know, receiving tens of thousands of inquiries, you know, before this, while we tried to pay as much attention as possible, sometimes it physically wasn't possible. And I think what, what the pandemic has shown is we change our processes to make the time uh, because it is important. So that's something different. Um, I think there are candidates out there that are worried that if they got laid off or if they were furloughed or if they had, you know, they were an entrepreneur and their business went under, that that somehow is going to tarnish their application. And that is so far from the truth. We are receiving so many applications from people in those exact circumstances. And 
in a human perspective, we understand, we get it. I mean, we're watching the news. We understand what's happened over the last year. For those people, it's, it's a great time to come back to an MBA program. And so don't be ashamed of it. Don't think of that as a barrier to which you should not apply um, because there are a lot of people in your case. Would it be an exaggeration perhaps to say that if they were also to talk about what they learned from the experience, not so much learned about you know being furloughed or how they how they use the furlough time, yeah. could actually strengthen their application or what they learned about being involved in a an ultimately unsuccessful business can also strengthen their application. Would you agree with that? Definitely. And even prior to the pandemic, when people had more than a three-month employment gap or were laid off, we would ask them to tell us, well, what did you do in that time? And the same holds true now. Yes. Like, did you go online and do certificates? How did you improve your skills? You know, uh, you know, maybe you had to take care of family members, but through that you learned different qualities about yourself that you never knew. So yes, how did you use your time and how does it make you a better person and, and leader? Now I know some applicants have specific elements in their background other than furlough um, or being laid off or even a failed business. And it gives them grave concern. How do you view applicants who had a dip in grades or a gap in their employment due to depression or emotional issues? That's kind of one category. And then the other category is have, how do you view or, or evaluate applicants who had an academic infraction as an undergraduate or perhaps a misdemeanor like a DUI on their record? Yeah, you know, I would say we want to understand and learn more, right? And no one is perfect. No one's background, prior personal or professional experiences are completely perfect. Um, and sometimes mistakes happen. So in the case that you mentioned of a, of a DUI, it's it a one-time thing. You were young. You were you were maybe not as mature as you are now, eight years later. And we understand and, and realize that as it, you know. And in the case of you know perhaps depression or mental illness, we realize that there's an increase. Uh, in that, not only due to the COVID pandemic, but even prior to that, and um, we were seeing more of that in undergraduate institutions. And so, you know, if people feel comfortable sharing it, then share it. I mean, I, we're all human. We all understand that we, you know, have to deal with things. And I think sometimes young students have to bear a lot more responsibility than maybe they used to, and there's a lot more pressure on them. And so, I think, you know, sharing it, but then also you know, how have you overcome? What skills have you put into place to, to forge into the next stage of your of your life? And then if it was a mistake like a DUI, you know, did you learn from it? Did you take responsibility for it? Um, did you not have any more? Did you not have any more? Correct. Uh, so we look at all of that. And that's what the optional essay is for, is to really explain those type of things. And so, you know, don't be ashamed of it. Again, we're all human. We're all person. Uh, we're, all, we're all people at the end. Okay, great. Thank you. What would you say to applicants who want to apply? Let's say I don't know about round four, but maybe for twenty, the you know the twenty twenty two entering class. But they're concerned that maybe even some deferrals from last year will have shrunk the number of available seats. Certainly for this year, that's a concern. And there has been a spike in applications, so they're concerned about basically increased competition. I had a lot of students over the last yeah. few months come to me and say, you know, try to analyze their probability of success. And um, and you can tell it's angsting them. And what I tell them is, look, the number of applications we're getting now was similar to what it was you know, three or four years ago. There was a, a dip in the market for a while as the economy was really strong. And so the situation you're entering is much similar to the one people three or four or five years ago were entering. Don't try to analyze your probability of success. Every applicant is different. We, you know, there's no there's no necessarily metric for who we admit. And if this is the right time for you, then apply. 
And in a worst case scenario, and we are not able to admit you, then come back to us and say, look, I wasn't admitted this year. Can I have a conversation with you about how I can improve for next year? We love reapplicants. And in fact, we admit about 50% of our reapplicants, we we admit them. And especially if they've taken steps to improve their application, we love that. Um, so you also provide feedback to people who are considering reapplying? We do at Georgetown. I can't say mm-hmm. other no, schools no, no, do. No, 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 I know that. I know yeah, that. We, we do at Georgetown. And, and we'll be honest with people and, and say, look, this is how you can improve for, for next year. Just apply. Don't stress. If for whatever reason it doesn't work out, then then reapply the following year and just make your application more competitive. Sounds good. All right. Can you touch for a moment on the MBA Advanced Access Program? Whom is it for and how can one get in? Yes, I love this. So we we launched it in December and the application deadline is April 26th um, for this, this year. So it is a deferral program. People in their final year of undergraduate or their final year of graduate school, if they went straight from undergrad to grad school, may apply to then defer for two, three, or four years later. So people applying now would be deferring into fall 2023, 24, 25, into the full-time MBA program. I like it because of two reasons why I think people should apply. One, um, there's so much pressure placed on undergraduate students to figure out what is their dream job post-undergrad. Everyone asks them, what are you doing? What do you do? Like, where did you, do you have a job? There's so much pressure. The reality is, you know, people may or may not like that job and that's fine. You change careers six, seven times over the course of your career. And so by doing the deferral program, you are able to take that job knowing full well that if you like it, well, then great, you can continue. Or if you don't like it, you can land in a top MBA program and switch careers because 84% of our students switch functions or industries coming out of the Georgetown MBA. And so it gives you this fallback plan. And so you don't have to have that pressure. The other reason I like it is that But by applying into the MAP program, you're going to be competing likely against a smaller pool of applicants for a seat two, three, or four years from now. If you wait and apply to the regular program, you're applying to a few thousand or you're applying against a few thousand applications. And so your probability of success is perhaps greater applying into the MAP program. Because if you apply into a full-time MBA with only two years of work experience, while you're still can be admitted, you're competing against people with five or six years of work experience. So that's the two reasons why I believe the MAP program and a deferral program is, you know, uh, something to think about. That's an absolutely great point. What advice would you give someone thinking ahead and planning to apply in fall 2021 for the 2022 entering class? They have about six months, nine months to go before they hit those first two deadlines, which are generally the more popular ones. Not this year, but in general. <laughs> yeah, yeah. September deadlines. Yeah. Um, so three things, visit virtually. So mm-hmm. before we all start coming back to in-person events, take advantage of everything being virtual now and just go ahead and do it. You can always come visit us, visit us in person later, but, but do the virtual visits now. Start speaking with other people that have MBA degrees because you do want to make sure that that is the right degree for you. Or maybe there's another graduate business degree that is of interest to you. So the more people you speak with, employers, you know, hiring managers, your friends, you'll further know if this is the right path for you. And then third, you know, start preparing for the things in the application that do take a while. So, you know, typically preparing for the test takes a little bit of time and just making sure you kind of know who your recommenders are. So, um, you know, and, and getting them lined up so that you give them a, at least a month to, to write the letter of recommendation. So if you're going to prep for the September deadlines, those are the three things I would say to do. 
Great. Thank you very much. Wonderful suggestions. What would you have liked me to ask you? What do I personally love about Georgetown? What do you personally love about Georgetown? (laughs) So I've worked at four different business schools and Georgetown is the, and they were all great. They were all great experiences, but Georgetown is the first school that one I've been the longest at. I've been here almost seven years, but was the first school that I decided to go back and do my MBA um, because I did have potential options to apply other schools. I may not have been admitted, but I had other options to apply. And this is the first school where I said, I want to be a Hoya. And it was because of my interactions with alum and students and the senior leadership and constantly talking about and hearing these experiences in my day-to-day job. Yeah, I said, I want that. I want that for myself. And I truly believe in the further direction of the school and where it's headed. And um, so I was really excited to apply and it was a phenomenal experience. And, and I don't regret it one minute and wish, frankly, I was back there uh, sometimes during, during the program. How was it juggling the the Imba and the full-time job? I mean, you have a demanding job. Yeah. You know, the one of the reasons why I almost didn't apply was because I was scared about the work-life balance. Um, I also had a four-year-old at the time. Okay. And my husband was in grad school at the time. <sighs> and so I thought, is this a good decision? Should I actually do this? <laughs> um, but I talked with another woman who had had two kids while in the MBA program and also a demanding job. And I thought, okay, if this woman can do it, then I can do it. And if all of these other people that have had kids have done it before me, then it's possible. And I just have to figure out the best path for me. And so, yeah, it was, it was definitely a decision factor, but it's, it's one that I don't regret. And it's, and and I still feel reflecting back, I was able to equally give time to, to my family, my career um, and my studies and was able to somehow manage it. That's great. Okay. Well, thank you. That's a very valuable insight, I think, for, for listeners. Very encouraging insight. I want to thank you again for, for sharing your, your perspective on the admissions process at, at Georgetown McDonough and also just a personal angle of it also. So thank you. Where can listeners and potential applicants learn more about Georgetown's MBA program? Yes, please visit choosegeorgetown.com. Okay, great. And there's, is there a period or anything there? It's just one word, choose Georgetown? Correct. Mm-hmm. Great. All right. Thanks again, Shelly. We're going to include links in the show notes at accept.com slash 421. And that'll go to the site Shelly just mentioned, as well as to related articles and interviews. They are all linked to at accept.com slash 421. Quick reminder, don't miss Accepted's June sale. Save up to $800 through June 14th, 2021. Visit accept.com slash MBA slash services for your savings. Listener, thank you too for joining Shelly Henrik and me for our 421st episode. If you find the show worthwhile, please subscribe. Make sure you don't miss any future shows, be they with admissions directors, professors, current students, test prep pros, or alumni doing great things. Thanks again for coming. This is Admissions Straight Talk, produced by Accepted, and I'm your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.